If you want to support this podcast and get a full ad-free episode, sign up to Headstuff Plus. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, of the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and close to us sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, Meryl Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore and mythology, retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, the culture and the history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 189, one away from 190, right here on Fireside. Today on the Irish storytelling podcast, we have a tale of the she, the other folk, the Far Darig, and this is the tale of... Of the lucky guest. But first, I want to give a very big welcome to any new and returning listeners. If this is your first episode, this is a perfect one to listen to for the very first time and then see what you like and then dip in any point along the way over the last four years. You might even go back to the very beginning and see what we've been building up to the journey of Fireside. Four years and nearly 200 episodes ago. And if you're a returning listener, as always, thank you so, so much for your continued support. Support me in all the usual ways. You can tell someone about the podcast. You can follow me on Instagram at firesidebard or email at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. You can buy my book, Garden Sea and Neil Myth of Home from Headstuff in paperback or in Kindle version from Amazon. Or you can support Headstuff directly uh, and support the podcast directly by joining Headstuff Plus for as little as five euro a month, although you can pay more if you want. All of the links are in the description below. The book can be shipped all over the world, and it is my favorite thing at the moment to send this little labor of love that was Garden Sea to you all over. Uh, so thank you so much to those who have already bought and for those who will buy in the future. But to check in, um, I am recording, I'm still recording in this block that I recorded the last episode in, um, so I'm still under the weather. This It will seem like I've been under the weather for two weeks straight for those who are listening, but uh, I'm recording this in one one block. Um, that's, in a way, as I'm coming to the end, I've just finished writing the fifth draft on a novel, um, a follow-up to Garden Sea, um, and I've been trying to have the consistency with that while also naturally juggling the podcast as well, keeping the podcast being written every week. So it's been working as a nice little rhythm um, of recording these in in blocks, in blocks of two at the very least, um, and then getting ahead of myself. It's keeping the air between the podcast and keeping the freshness, I think. Um, so that's working out well at the moment. So I'm recording this with last week's episode. That doesn't matter. You'll be listening to this in two weeks' time. But that is just to explain briefly why, if I still sound under the weather, I am. And I wish I didn't, but hopefully it, the quality didn't suffer too much from it last week. Um, 
and at the very least I'm a little bit worn, warmed up to it and not too drained out yet. But the story for this week is, it's again from the wonderful, wonderful toll, tome of the treasury of Irish fairy folk tales. Link is in the description. Um, the most glorious, glorious edition, the spell book of Irish folk tales that I have, that I've had since the very, very beginning, since before the very beginning of this podcast, when it was just a twinkle in the eye. I've had this book, and it's the book that never gets to go away with me on all my traveler, travels, because it's just too thick and large so while i am at home in wicklow at the moment i've been diving back into it and it's been wonderful it always feels like i'm adapting the original tales once more and it always brings it back full circle and this story is no exception it's uh, from a similar section these are all tales of on far darug which is the solitary fairy he's kind of a jack of all fairies a little bit he has a stand-in he's always just a little bit mischievous does whatever he wants he can be a blessing he can be a curse he is he is just himself. He's the fire dark. He's the red man. And we will chat more about him afterwards. But this is the story of the lucky guest on Fireside. The lucky guest. In an old country manor at the foot of the Galti Mountains in County Tipperary, there was a great feast held. After all the food and most of the drink, the entire assembly was enthralled at the tales of Bridget Mooney. She was an old nurse and chief storyteller for the evening. Bridget captivated her full and drunk audience with tales of the gods and the other folk. But Bridget did not just like telling stories. She liked listening to them as well. After all, the only way to collect stories is by living them or listening to them. And the other folk were mysterious and selective. You were lucky or unlucky, depending on the tale, to encounter them once in a lifetime. So after Bridget had finished telling her own family's tale of the dead man's hollow, she said to her silent, enamoured crowd, So you all know now what happened when the Moonies of Tipperary encountered the good people. But if you want an even better tale, you should listen to that of Ellen Connell and what happened to her family. The crowd turned to follow Bridget's finger as she pointed at a young woman of 16. Ellen was collecting up the goblets and silverware from the feast. She was not used to speaking in public. She was not a trained bard or storyteller. And she certainly didn't like talking about her own family's brush with the she. But the young woman felt the pressure of all of the curious eyes now staring at her. And she approached the fireside to tell her tale. Well, it was a long time ago. Thirteen years, actually. So I don't really remember much of it myself. Her throat dried. She felt tongue-tied. But then Ellen Connell closed her eyes and breathed deep. She opened them and grabbed the end of a goblet of wine, and her confidence grew. It was a May evening, and though the days were getting longer, this night was dark and stormy. My entire family were around the hearth, with a few of our closer neighbours who didn't dare brave the elements yet. My family didn't have much room, and the thatched roof could only withstand so much rain. 
Nevertheless, as the leak started to seep through and landed down on the fireplace at the centre of the hearth, my own mother said, God, it's a terrible night, but as bad as our roof is, isn't it great to have one over our heads? Imagine being at sea right now. As we huddled for warmth, trying to stay dry and avoid the leakage, my brother's sister and I all conceded we were more fortunate than some. But at that very moment of gratitude, the front door began to shake. There was a voice coming from outside, old and hoarse, banging to get in. My older brother went to check who it was. At least I think it was him who went. If he were here himself today, I'm sure he'd tell you that it was him. Well, anyway, he answered the door and got the fright of his life. On the other side was a man, not two and a half feet tall, wearing a blood-red sugarloaf hat, a weather-beaten tailored yellow coat with pale green skin and grey eyes. The red man walked straight past my brother towards where me and my family were gathered around the hearth and started warming himself by the fire. My father, mother and every one of my siblings and neighbours all moved as far away as possible, as if we had seen a rat or a spider or, or, or one of the other folk. The Fardarig was unfazed by our fright, and he picked up my father's pipe from the ground. The still-lit pipe had been dropped by my father when he had sprinted away from the intruder, but the fairy casually lit the pipe again and began to smoke until the whole room was filled with the stench of burning tobacco. The neighbours didn't care who thought what of whom, and they all ran from the house without a word, out into the storm and away from the danger of the red man. My father signalled for all our family to go to bed and leave the Fardarak to our fireplace. Not one of our family slept a wink that night. Except, of course, for me. I was the only three and didn't really know what was going on, so I slept as peacefully as I ever have since. The next morning, you'd never have known that any fairy intruder had been in the house at all except that every one of the tables and chairs was still knocked over, but we had done that, not the Fardarik. But every evening after that, our visitor would arrive. Instead of knocking, the red man would simply stick his hand through the keyhole of the front door, which was not big enough for his arm the first night, but after that he punched a hole in the door so that it would always fit after that. And every night at 10pm, the long-nailed, hairy hand would appear through the door, and one of our family had to be there to see it, and let the little man in. Initially, we resisted. We tried not answering. But every time we didn't, a grave misfortune would happen to us. If we ignored the hand, then the next day our cows would give no milk, or the wool of the sheep would not grow. My brother refused to answer once, and the next morning as he was footing turf, a stone was thrown at his spade so hard that it split in two. If the stone had been aimed at my brother's head, it certainly would have killed him. And when he picked it up and put the two pieces together, it formed the shape of a heart. My brother never refused the hand through the door again. The worst came when a neighbour called round and suggested we smack the hand away to teach the Fardarag a lesson. When none of the family agreed, our neighbour waited by the door, and when 10pm came and the hand appeared, the neighbour wrapped the knuckles of the red man and the hand withdrew. Problem solved, said the neighbour. 
but the next day he fell ill and was dead within a fortnight. So suffice it to say we knew that ignoring the fire darig was not an option. Every evening after that, the hand would appear. We would let the red man in and he would busy himself lighting his pipe and warming himself by the fire. We would all vacate the room when he arrived as we learnt that the man did not like to be gawked at while he smoked. But as much as we felt bound and almost imprisoned by the fire darig during his visits, the strangest thing began to happen. The more he came, the greater our family's fortune grew. The grass grew stronger. The cows began to give the best milk in the province. The sheep had to be sheared twice as often. Our family became the luckiest in Munster, all it seemed from our gracious guest. But all good things must come to an end. And soon our landlord found out about my father's increased wealth. He questioned where the money was coming from, and when my father couldn't explain, the landlord decided our rent must be too low and racked it up higher than even our new fortune could withstand. So our family was forced out of our home. And I don't need to tell you, it wasn't long before the landlord died. That was the only part of the story I don't feel sad about. Our family moved into a new cottage not far from our old home, and we hoped that the far Darug would follow and our fortunes would continue to grow. But he never did. So my father and brothers went back to our old home, which was now falling apart and abandoned as the landlord had died without ever finding new tenants, given how much he was now charging for rent. The house was now too decrepit to even squat in. My family dug out the hearth, and even took the door off its hinges and carried it back to our new cottage, all the things we thought the red man would recognise that would entice him back. We made our new home as identical to the old as possible, and night after night we gathered around the hearth and looked for the hand to emerge through the keyhole, but it never did, and we never saw the far darling again. Ellen Connell began to cry into her hands when she reached the end of her story. She was far less experienced a storyteller than the old nurse Bridget Mooney, but nonetheless every man and woman there in the old hall was glued to the tale. Ellen explained how after the far Darug, the family's luck was never the same. Her father and mother had since died, and the brothers and sisters forced to emigrate for work on the last voyage to the Cape of Good Hope. It had been thirteen years and Ellen Connell is the last of her family left alive in Ireland. She lives alone in the same cottage. She works as a maid in the old country house. But still Ellen finds it hard to totally give up hope. She will live in that cottage until the day comes, where she sees the little long-nailed hairy green hands slip through the keyhole. Ellen Connell will be ready. And on that day, her luck will change, and her family may be together again. The End My first poem went viral January last. I wrote a book. And now I host a podcast. I'll have guests, we'll laugh and we'll moan and we'll realise that everybody's a poem. 
Hello, I'm Jan Brereton. I'm a mom, a fashion stylist, a perpetual sweary person and an accidental poet. In the thick of lockdown, I wrote a poem. What day is it? Who gives a fuck? I'd never written a poem before, but once I started writing, I couldn't stop. I'd love you to join me each fortnight for my podcast, Everybody is a Poem, where I'll read some poems and I'll chat with guests to inspire me. Everybody is a Poem with me, Jan Brereton. Coming soon to the Head Stuff Podcast Network. And that is the tale of the lucky guest on Fireside. And I hope you enjoyed it. Um, this again, very similar to the story we had two weeks ago of Horse Piper. This is a, the kind of story I really like where it is told essentially in the first person. We get the framing device of this great feast being held in this great big manner. And everyone is gathered around listening to this old nurse, Bridget Mooney, who's the chief storyteller. She's the, the peg sayers of the evening. However, this storyteller asks everyone to stop what they're doing and listen to this 16-year-old maid who has a true story, uh, an even better story to tell. And I really liked talking about that, that even these older professional storytellers, they still defer to the young who would have other tales to tell because that is how you would continue to collect these stories was by listening to them and living them and this being a world that even though these encounters with these fairies seem plentiful they are incredibly mysterious still and only do happen to certain people so you would always want to be on the lookout for someone who has had such an encounter with the she because it's never a story is never better than coming from the horse's mouth as they say so this young woman, I got to be the father of the house two weeks ago, but now I got to be this maid from Cork, um, who is, uh, it's story said in tip, but uh, this, this woman said it's from Cork, this young maid, Ellen Connell. And it's very interesting that we have this tale where a father arrives as he does in The Man With No Story, as he did in Horse Piper, just to kind of do his own thing. But... The the luck goes two ways here. So initially, naturally, the family resist this man just arriving every day just to warm himself by their, their fire and smoke tobacco. And these increasing bad fortunes happy, happen to them. Either their cows produce no milk, their sheep produce no wool. Um, in my favourite of them, the brother who is footing turf, he has a stone thrown at the spade at an incredible force that it splits in two and after which it forms the shape of a heart as a warning that could have been aimed very easily at his head. And of course the neighbour who smacks the hand away and who's, who dies soon afterwards. And how incredible an image is that of the hand just peering through the keyhole, reaching through the keyhole. Um after being enlarging, basically punching a hole in it and building it around so that they could always see the hand, so that he wouldn't even have to knock, but that someone would always have to be there to watch uh, for the Faradarig. But his needs are few. He's not asking someone to become a horse. He's not asking someone to bury anything for him, not even to go on an adventure of any kind. The Faradarig's needs are simple in this story. He simply wants to come in, dry himself off, warm himself by the fire, smoke his pipe, or smoke your pipe, depending on which is easier for him, and then go on his merry way. 
But as the family allow him to do this and relent when they realize how grave their misfortunes are, should they refuse, then the reverse starts to happen and they become incredibly fortunate. And their wealth grows and their cows produce more milk and their sheep produce more wool. And they become so wealthy that their landlord wants a little peace because of course he does even the good luck of the fairies cannot outdo the treacherous landlords of era as is still the case today uh, insert rent in ireland tangent right here um i just i love i love that that manages to keep coming up that the the landlords are the villains of irish folk tales just as they are villains of irish contemporary life um so we have we have the landlord then racking up the price of the rent to this family it's like well if you can afford nice things and if you seem to be earning more money then clearly you can afford a higher rent or can afford to even buy the place which of course the family cannot or it will put them in worse situations again so they're forced to leave out of their house not of course and shortly after of course the landlord dies the Fardarag knows that the family have been forced out but then when they go to this new home the Fardarag does not follow and their fortune does not follow and of course the family knows that it is this lucky guest coming each night that is what has made their fortune. So in my favourite detail of the story, they go back and they dig up the hearth and they remove the door from its hinges and they try to make the new home as identical as possible. I imagined, yeah, like it had said in the story that the previous house was never able to find a new tenant because of how expensive it was by the time the landlord died. So I'd wondered why the other family didn't just move back in, but presumably it had changed hands or possibly had fallen apart because no one was living in it, because no one could afford to, and it fell into disrepair so that the family couldn't even live there. So they live in this new cottage in which they tried to entice the Faradarik to come along, but he never did, and the family's fortunes never grew. And then they... The... A typical tragedy of families in these stories and of this time of this post-famine period of Irish history occurs which mother and father dying young brothers and sisters all forced to emigrate and then we have just this young 16 year old Ellen Connell left uh, as a maid and I imagine her living still in the same home it's interesting that she is it says very specifically that Alan is 16 and that this story happened 13 years ago so as a fairy tale and as a folk tale that's really really interesting because she was too young to remember it at the very most she would have only the flashes of which of course makes her an unreliable narrator and unreliable narrators are what these kind of stories are all about the kind who you want to believe but you don't because you ultimately don't believe in magic and don't believe in fairies that's why it's only children and like really really the the elderly and the the wise and sage like who tell these stories these fanciful superstitious tales um so they are the perfect narrators for tales like this and that's why i love that we have the framing device of this older this older nurse this chief storyteller passing it off to this very very young woman who a young woman who wouldn't traditionally be the one to tell the tales tell the tale in stories like this like again even two weeks ago in horse piper we had it was the young maid's story it was her grandfather who the story happened to but it was still the man of the house who told the tale in that particular case but here we have the young woman getting to tell her own story despite the fact that she was only so young and knows the story mainly from her brothers who are long gone 
but in a quite sorrowful ending to the tale, wanted to end it with this idea that Ellen remains in this house to this day and that she is waiting for the day when the Fardarag will return. It's like someone just like waiting waiting playing the lottery every week and like doing nothing else to improve their fortunes it's just waiting for good luck and that ended up getting to be quite moralistic or parable-esque in a non-contrived way because it just kind of naturally happened there was no preachy message but it ended up just giving this idea at the end that that resonated in some way of this idea of someone just praying or constantly gambling and looking for just the one quick fix which of course you would if your family had had it just by the presence of this far far darug this incredibly poor family were able to have incredible wealth and prosperity and so of course they would be longing for that to come back when they so easily had it and lost it not through their own fault usually there is an element of hubris in these tales um which is where the good luck goes from but it wasn't anything to do with the family on this incident it was just an inevitable conclusion of more money equaling more pressure from the landlord and the eviction but we have poor ellen kelly in the final or ellen connell in the final image waiting in her new home waiting for a far darug that will perhaps never arrive and with that we also get a very very good image or description of the far darug in this um in which we have the idea of yes the red hat is the reason seemingly that it's always called the far darug um a sugarloaf hat as it's called here so this blood red sugarloaf hat this tattered yellow like tailcoat they're always quite smartly dressed but like so old green skin gray eyes he's describing others having a very high nose the description is quite specific um which is nice and always two and a half feet tall is what he is now before he seemed like so small you could put him in your pocket um they vary in their sizes but short short guy anyway just little fella um is the fardarg and also we don't hear him speak at all in this case because we have this entirely coming from ellen connell and just it's about her reaction and her family's reaction for it because he's not asking a lot he hasn't been asked for anything and he isn't asking a lot well i suppose he is invading this house Sorry, I pulled. Oh, fuck. Sorry, I pulled my own headphones out there. I kicked my own headphones out. Don't know how I did that. He, uh, the Fardarig, is asking a lot of this family, of course, by invading their house every day. But he doesn't ask anything. You almost like you get the impression he has never spoken to the family at all, which does make a difference, um, because it's usually these lads seeking out to draw out the hubris from these pesky mortals, taking the unnecessary revenge. Um, for all of their people but with that i think i will wrap things up folks that is the tale of the lucky guest uh, another great tale of the far there i hope you enjoyed it um next week we have another tale of the fianna we have episode 190 if you can believe it as we count down to 200 episodes as we approach the four-year anniversary of fireside Next week, we will have another tale of the Fianna. We will have Fionn McCool and The Chase before we crack down into a series of Halloween tales leading us up to Halloween and then leading us up. Following that to the final five or six episodes right up to episode 200. I can't wait for it. Um, So 
all the usual things. Follow me on over on Instagram at firesidebard. Email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Um, buy my book, Garden Sea, a poetry collection and neomyth of home. Can be shipped anywhere in the world in paperback or uh, instantly on Kindle. Links are all in the description. Join Heads the Plus for as little as five euro a month, although you can pay more if you want. Um, I will see you all next time. I'll see you all. You'll hear me all. I Before I collapse now after recording two of these in a row, um, I'm still recovering. Uh, I got very, very badly sick yesterday, so I'm getting over, just cracked over the worst of it. So next time I record, I should be back in the full of my health. Um, but now I've, I'm going to hopefully have a very long, nice long bath and get a good night's sleep. After I edit these, of course, I will edit these podcasts first and then I will have check out. Uh, but I'll see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. If you want to support this podcast and get a full ad-free episode, sign up to Headstuff Plus. 